0: Across the city and South Cambridgeshire
1: On FM, digital and your mobile
0: Cambridge 105 Radio I'm going to read you the menu, it's fantastic
2: So we get better flavour because of the fen soil
3: I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before I think
2: I shouldn't
1: have said almonds, they don't make it from almonds
4: (laughs) so you've got this big sticky mess
1: when you start off.
4: It's
5: a hot
1: pies! My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you.
5: The time is right
3: for this sort of thing. Food is
6: everything.
5: <laughs> Cambridge is right for
6: this sort of thing. What's it like? Can dishes <laughs> <laughs>
7: Good afternoon and welcome to Flavor. We've lots of food and drink news and stories for Cambridge and South Cambridgeshire today. I'm Matt Bentman and here's Alan Alda and Sue Bailey to tell you more about what's in store.
8: Yeah, Richard Stokes and Jay Scrimshaw, the Finn boys, are back from their staff outing to California and reaping the rewards of Jay Rayner's glowing review of them in the Observer newspaper. But what was it like for them when they saw him walking through the door? We find out. And Finboys is just one of many excellent food places in
4: Cambridge, and Mill Road in particular. I asked food writer Bea Wilson about which
7: are her favourite places to go for food. Cambridge Sustainable Food held their Food for the Planet Festival recently. I went along to chat to the volunteers and hear more about the organisation's
8: activities. And baristas. Our job section at the end of the programme has, not unusually, quite a few vacancies for baristas. But what skills are needed? What are the pressures like? And is it a bit of a grind? Barista trainer Jake Bosworth has the lowdown. And we have a
4: few tips for making a fish stew from fishmonger Ben Roberts, along with lots of local food and drink news. And let's begin with Bee Wilson. B was on our last programme talking about her new book, a cookbook called The Secrets of Cooking, which has had a lot of praise. But where does Bee like to go to eat out in Cambridge? And where's best for ingredients? Cambridge. Best shops, best restaurants for you. Oh my
5: goodness, this is really difficult to answer. I mean, I live near Mill Road and I feel so fortunate to live near Mill Road because I could just name entirely places on or around Mill Road to answer your questions. So one of my favourite places on Mill Road, Noodles Plus, the best I've now... Can't pronounce the name of the dumplings. But anyway, all of their dumplings are incredible. Mm. But they have those ones that have a kind of minced pork inside, but also soup encased inside, you know, Mm. where where you kind of bite into it. And you've got to eat it very carefully because otherwise it's going to be Yes, I can't think of the name either. (laughs) But I love that place. I love their noodles too. I think Finn Boys on Mill Road for a kind of special fish celebration meal is just absolutely wonderful. I think for an incredible celebration, vegetarian meal, if you can get a booking, Vandal Of course. <laughs> I think he's amazing in Alex Rushmer, in terms of how he's mm-hmm. sort of changed the model of what a restaurant can be. Food shops, also on Mill Road. I love Spicegate, Turkish food shop. Partly during the pandemic, I just started going there when the supermarkets were just, it, it felt so panicky, and I've not been going there for years, but I kind of became especially fond of that shop mm. and the independent food shops of Mill Road at that time. Soul Plaza on Mill Road for kind of delicious, special, mm. gifty ingredients, Culinaris. I think Eclipse Bakery on Mill Road is great. So I'm just naming Mill Road Place. Jack's Gelato. I also of have course, to mention yeah. Jack's Gelato, yeah. which is not Mill Road. Yeah. I think it's some of the best ice cream, not just in Cambridge but in the country. I mean, I've, Have you eaten better elderflower sorbet anywhere?
4: No. no. You're so lucky living so near Mill Road because it is a treasure trove food places. It really treasure trove and there's ones like you know Arjuna the health food store which is
5: I remember from when I was a student in Cambridge and that's been going for donkey's years but it's still so good and obviously ones like new places Scott's pizza got three but what is the name it's Alamin isn't it oh Alamin yes. Yes. Uh, yes it's been there I
4: mean that's been there for years yes.
5: and then all of these new places popping up especially kind of over the bridge it's Meadows um, yes. which is based originally is based in, in, Newnham, in Newnham, Newnham but now is popped over the bridge and all of these exciting local producers because Meadows in common with Vandelal, I think, and in common with Finboys. There's a farm outside Cambridge called Flourish, Flourish, which does extraordinary Mm -hmm. vegetables and Meadows stocks some of those. No Meadows is great, and just coffee shops. There's Dom's Place on Mill Road, which is some of the most delicious coffee I've ever tasted. Obviously, hot numbers. I've written many articles sitting in hot numbers. I have a very, very soft spot for that place. There's just so many, aren't there, when you start thinking about it.
4: I think we're very lucky to live in Cambridge from a foodie point of view. I think we're very lucky,
5: and increasingly so, because it feels as if there's a kind of... There's a sort of... It's on the up, isn't it? You've, there's a kind of optimism of feeling lots of different places supporting one another. So, for example, I think that Scott's All Day on Mill Road, the people who set that up, Pedro Ritchie worked at Fitzpatrick, hadn't they under the new ownership of tim and Alison? so i think there's a kind of there's a sense of various kind of different interlocking hubs of food people supporting each other which is really nice
8: Yeah, the idea of food places supporting each other is very strong in in Mill Road, like B. Wilson said. Zoltan Bogarty from Culinaris is particularly keen on it, wants to see it flourish more. And the masterclasses here in Chong Chong Boa Van Fora ran all too briefly were an example of what could be done. But Sue, what did you think of B's choices? It sounded like you and she were of like mind oh very much so and and she's so lucky living near mill road i wish
4: i wish i lived a little <laughs> bit nearer
8: yeah well i was interested in what she mentioned i mean she mentioned all the places that i would mention and spicegate i you know i I go into Spice Gate. Mm. I've started going to Gate. It's a good shop, it's just, if you don't know, it's just next door, or next door but one to Arjuna, and I tend to go from the one to the other. But, yeah, it's a good shop, and it is a fantastic road. And developing all the time, new places opening.
4: Oh, yes, both sides of the bridge, exactly, yeah. with Meadows, the other Absolutely. side of the bridge. Yeah, not yeah. just in Newnham, yeah, yeah.
8: It's, brilliant. it's brilliant. And I was interested in her mentioning Noodles Plus first Uh, and that's one of the few places that has been open years but still has queues outside even on Sunday mornings and deservedly so. Yet it barely features on some of the websites that tell you the supposedly best places to eat in a city and those things are sometimes so off the mark often featuring some truly mediocre chains. Some of them are compiled on people's choices though so it's a problem intrinsic to how they're set up, I suppose. However, there is one I came across which isn't based on popularity called Mob. Have you heard of Mob? No, I haven't, actually. Well, it put Noodles Plus first, followed by Restaurant 22, and interestingly, Eco Kitchen in Norfolk Street, third. Then Little Petra, then Rice Boat, Scots All Day, Finboys and so on. So Mob is worth looking at, and they do seem to know what they're talking about. And they cover quite a few other cities, too. And there's a new one, an app, uh, still in beta form, still in in sort of experimental form, and at the moment operating on iPhones only. It's called Jacopo. And people like Tim Hayward's writings, Rosie Sykes' writing, Marina O'Loughlin's writings are used on it. Here's a little bit about it.
1: Welcome. My name is Mike and I am the CEO of Jacopo. Now, Jacopo is an app for people that are really into food and want to share recommendations more easily. The premise is pretty simple. We pull recommendations from all different sources across the web, all different types of media and platforms. So whether that's uh, Instagram accounts that you follow or blogs that you like to read or even broadsheet publications, the idea is we work with these people and we pull them all into one space so that you can curate your own personal food guide and really be guided by uh, people and places that you trust or ready. So this is a beta product, a beta app, I should say. And that means that we haven't launched yet. It's still a work in progress. And we're just slowly onboarding people to build the community and see what they think. So without further ado, if you want to get onto the app here and you should be able to see um, a link to the person that potentially invited you, if you click on that, uh, it should directly straight through into their account and
8: get you on the app. Well, I haven't got an iPhone, so at the moment I'm excluded, but but you two have got iPhone. Have
4: you got an iPhone? Yes, I have an iPhone. Oh, no, I'm really going to try this app. This yeah. sounds really
8: interesting. You have to have an invite. if you go oh, Fair to, enough. It, well, you get one. I've got an invite, but not the right phone. It's a bit frustrating. <laughs> you go on to, say, Tim Haywood's Instagram account, and if you look back a couple of months, mm. there's something you can click on there, and that gets ah, you an automatic thank invite. thank you. Yeah. And in Cambridge, of course, we've got Peena's 1-2 Culinary Stew. But You know, how do you find the equivalent if you're travelling around? What do you do? You go to Oxford Uh,
4: Yes, yeah, Oxford for real tennis. And we know people down there. And again, asking people for recommendations. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the best ways, which, of course, it sounds like what Jacopo does.
8: Yeah, exactly, yeah. When I went to Bristol, was it, last year, the year before... I asked Rosie Sykes because she goes to Bristol a lot and ah. she recommended some stunningly good places. <laughs> so, word of mouth if you Word can... of mouth,
4: and often people say on Instagram, where are you going? oh can you recommend something? Yeah,
8: actually, when we went to Broadstairs, this was quite a few years ago, about four years ago, Marina O'Loughlin, who lives in Broadstairs, mm. she's a food reviewer for the yes, yes. Times, as to say show you all the Sunday Times. She, sometimes, she is often asked on Instagram, where's good to eat in Ramsgate or where's good to eat in Broadstairs, mm. and sometimes she replies But if you look back again through her Instagram account, you can see her recommendations. Mm So, yeah, word of mouth if you can get it. Now details of free food in and around Cambridge and the information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app and that exists so that people's or businesses surplus food doesn't go to waste.
7: Yeah, that's right. And today's look at Olio for Cambridge shows us that uh, Will Run, on Coleridge Road, he's back with a variety of things to give away, including cinnamon swirls and croissants, seven French batons, a pack of wholemeal pittas, and get this, uh, 180 yogurts to give away. Maximum of 10 per person, he says. And uh, that's it, really. It's very quiet on the early front today, unless you're craving yoghurt.
4: Well, (laughs) there's another free app called Too Good To Go, which has unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. And rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home, instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading.
8: Well, one of the restaurants that will be in most people's recommendations in Cambridge is Finn Boys at Number 2 Mill Road. And I couldn't find it at all in TripAdvisor's Top 20, which I think makes the point we were discussing earlier. But it was reviewed by Jay Rayner in the Observer newspaper early last month. And I asked co-owner Richard Stokes about how he found the experience. Hi, Richard. I was going to ask you about the visit by Jay Rayner. And I was wondering... When did you realise he was in the building, you know? Did you see the door open and, and he came? Or was yeah. he suddenly sitting opposite you? And
2: yes, no, I, I, I saw him walk in as towards the end of lunchtime. There was only two of us here working that morning and did a double take. Um, because you, were, you, you don't know in advance? No, don't know in advance, and, and obviously booked under a, a, a pseudonym, so, so um, no had no idea he was coming in at all. Um, and then a few seconds later he was sitting right in front of us, yeah.
8: <laughs> so, how did you feel? Uh,
2: well, I've, I've never had a food critic come in and sit right in front of me before. Um, when they were, they were sitting at the bar. Then sitting around the counter. Yes, yeah. right in front of us. Um, but um, you know, you feel intimidated for a few seconds only. But you know, I'm, I'm quite old and been around the block quite a lot of times, so you don't get intimidated by people very often, really. So uh, no, it was fine. It was it was really engaging, really nice. Right, well,
8: and your staff are okay with it. Were there? there weren't any panics or drop, well, yeah, Mark, drop dishes? No, John, who
2: was working with us on that day, um, knew who he was as well, and um, he panicked a little bit. I said, well, just cook normally, just cook. And he asked me if, he, if I wanted to cook the main courses for him. I said, no, no, you're doing the main courses, you, you'll be fine. And I, yeah. I did his starters, I was on the starter section that morning. So um, it was business as usual, really. That's a great experience then, isn't it, for him yeah. to have? Yeah, yeah. well, I didn't, want to, you know, I didn't want to take over from from Jolt to, to doing the cooking because it just sends out the wrong message anyway. So, so no, no Jolt cooked his main courses and I cooked the starters. And how did Jay Rayner
8: choose what to order? He seems to have eaten rather a lot. Yeah, I
2: get, well, he's working, I guess. So he had to try quite a few items.
8: Right, so did he spend a lot of time looking at the menu and making a choice?
2: Yes, yeah, he was with a, a, a friend I, sh- I could gather, you know, an, an old friend he hadn't seen for a little while. So they was chatting and going through the menu. Um, I told them they should have the prawn toast as it's the best in the country. He mentioned it as a bold statement. I said, we'll just try it. And uh, all the other customers think it's the, the best in the country, the best <laughs> I've had. So uh, no, he really loved that. Um, then he had a tuna dish, and tuna is a bit of a signature thing for us. The dish changes every every week, but we get some wonderful um, tuna in from Galicia. So he had a tuna dish, some scallops, um, and then he had some, some uh, Papa Pomodoro soup with mussels from from Foy. And then they had a couple of main courses. There was some lovely red mullet that I'd been in that morning. We just served with an exo sauce. Then a couple of desserts. So, yes, they ate really well. And they ate it all. That sounds like quite a lot for two people. Yeah, yeah. No, they ate everything, yeah. I think there was about three starters, Um, two main courses um a snack and, and a couple of desserts
8: And was i mean and did you know how it was going was he making approving noises
2: uh, as you know how you
8: had well he... i did ask
2: him a couple of times and he said well if you know how these things work i'm not allowed to say But well, then he said everything tastes absolutely fantastic so well, that was a... really nice yeah
8: and he seems to have asked you a lot of questions so I mean, he was engaging with you through yes
2: yeah no, he, he, uh, both jay rayner and his friend engaged with us uh, his friend, I, I took it from, from Newmarket, and and had been recommended to come here anyway. Yeah, they both asked lots of questions about um, the setup, and, and and is is this the only little area that we have to cook? He thought there was a kitchen at the back, but um, obviously no. We just have like a, a a domestic kitchen setup really, with one large oven. That's all we have here. And he marveled at when we get busy at weekends how scary it must be to cook on such limited equipment. Yeah. But um, yeah. 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 Uh, and did he? Did he know about you through his new market friend, or did he, or, or don't you know how he? Um, I did ask him, but he was quite vague on, on his answer, saying that um, it was a last-minute decision to come here. Um, he, he bumped us up in, instead of somebody else, so I don't know who that was. Um, but, <laughs> was um, somebody
8: else in Cambridge, or didn't he say? He didn't say. Right, no. Uh, right. Okay. And uh, and how do you feel about the review? Well, we're delighted with it. Because um, it was it. The day you went to yes, it came California? Out, yeah,
2: it came out on the Sunday the 8th, the day we flew to California, took the team away. So you saw it
8: online, did you, or did you manage to get a copy of The Observer that well, well, day?
2: Well, we did manage to get a copy, yeah, in the morning. I'll get it anyway um, on, on, on on Sundays. i get three or four newspapers on a Sunday, the only day I do. Um, so, yes, we read it in the morning, and um, Jay, did, did, Jay, my partner Jay, Jay Swimshaw, did ask the editor if they could put it back a week <laughs> when we came back but uh, they couldn't but um, yeah, it still worked out very well for us anyway well it's caused a lot of interest yes yeah yeah yeah. it's been really nice since coming back we probably have about the double amount of the bookings we we ha- uh, would normally get we got in, in, in like four days within four days got the amount we would normally get um, you know in, in probably seven or eight days so that was really good um, and everyone who has been in this last week have been talking about it and and um, they were just seemed to have just excited as we were, really.
8: Yeah, it is ironic that it happened just as you were going away for ten
2: days. Uh, that's Murphy's Law, and uh, not like it? was bound to happen. He get some some good and not not you know great review and and the timing of it is not just great when he comes out, but you know.
8: Yeah, but it stays in people's memory and it's of something course. you can
2: put on your website, isn't it? Yes, and yeah, yeah. And, refer and, and to all the time. Yeah,
8: yeah. I think it's a fun fant- and I think it's well deserved as well. Richard. Oh, thank you. Oh, such a good place to eat. And I was wondering how your trip to California went, whether you came back with any new ideas or fantastic wines or anything like that?
2: All the wine tastings we had were better than I remember last time I went, probably 15 years ago. Um, We ate exceedingly well in San Francisco, probably not so well in the wine country. When I first went 25 years ago, visiting California a couple of times uh, in the the late 90s, early 2000s, really changed the way I, I cooked. Uh, and working in a couple of places, doing some stages at, uh, at um, the Slanted Door and Chez Panisse, changed the way I cooked at the Three Horseshoes when I was there. Um, didn't have the same impact on the guys when we went uh, last month. Because you were already doing much of it? Yeah, a little bit of that, but I, I think um, the cooking has sort of stagnated or gone backwards a little bit in the wine countries. It wasn't the wow factor there was sort of 15 years ago when I when mm. I went a lot of the menus were the same wherever we went you know, had the same dishes on and a couple of places executed quite ordinarily really But san yeah.
8: francisco was better
2: fantastic yeah we ate really well in san francisco yeah uh, went to some old classic places it's just too expensive to eat really in, in 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 america at the moment the top restaurants everything was at least 400 pounds a head um for the top three star places um like uh, the french laundry and and saison and uh, angler and, and lazy bear and all these places and you had to have wine pairing so we couldn't we couldn't afford to go to these sort of places unfortunately that's incredible
8: and did you go to swan's oyster depot
2: we went to swan Oyster Depot. yeah jay and i went just just two of us we got up early we were the first two there It's at sort of 8 30 in the morning we heard the queues would be horrendous but we got in there first two in um and it was charming probably one of the nicest meals um, we had uh, the whole trip really it was really lovely um, having a beer at eight thirty in the morning with, with, oh, with oyster, yeah no. oysters and crab and sashimi and everything yeah it was lovely and the place did soon fill up there's only about fifteen seats anyway at the counter but um, yeah a great place yeah
8: well I went I was just amazed that there were very few seats and there were almost as many people working there as there were yes. seats yeah
2: they're busy selling fish as well you know they're packaging it all up for for um, for retail and and um, yeah, there's lots of fish coming in and going out in the morning. Yeah, it's a real working uh, space.
8: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, well, perhaps asking about Swan's Oyster Depot was a bit off our remit, remit, but if you do ever go to San Francisco, it really is worth a visit. 8.30 in the morning is a bit early, however. I wonder if it's (laughs) in (laughs) TripAdvisor.
4: Now, here's our first news break for today, 4th of November. Cambridge Market has spaces for new traders. For more information and to apply, go to cambridge.gov.uk
7: forward slash markets. Cambridge Juice's online shop is offering 15% off all Glebe Farm products like pure oaty-oat drink, barista almond drink, coconut drink, soya drink... Gluten-free cereals like chocolate oat granola, porridge oats and
8: plenty more. Uh, Bean Theory in Newnham Road is now serving cocktails on Friday and Saturday nights when it will be open until 9.30pm. On Tuesday, there's a cheese
7: and wine-guided tasting evening with the Cambridge Cheese Company and Cambridge Wine Merchants. You can book at any Cambridge Wine Merchant shop or phone Cambridge 214 548. The cost for that is £40 and it will take place at the Cherry Hinton Road branch. News about some openings and a closing now. A new Greek
4: fast food restaurant has opened at number 88 Mill Road. That’s on the corner of Tennyson Road in the place that used to be occupied by Culinaris. It’s called Hungrill, and has a variety of pork and chicken wraps and also vegan and vegetarian food.
7: Also new is the Astronomer Restaurant and Bar that's taken over the space under the Hyatt Hotel in Eddington. It's run by Cam's Cuisine and features local providers such as Brewboard, Cranes and the Cambridge Distillery. It's open now and they serve breakfast, lunch and dinner seven days a week and will be having stargazing evenings in December.
8: And there's a new cafe in Trumpington Street called Pages. It has Monmouth coffee, which is good to have, Uh, baked goods such as croissants and panneau chocolat, Uh, cakes as well and there's a courtyard round the back too. It's open every day and Fitzbillies is opening a new branch soon in King's Parade.
4: But sadly closed is Number 77 Thai restaurant and bar in Caxton, a restaurant that had high praise but which has had to close because of mounting costs. It's a difficult time and restaurants and independent Food and drink providers need our support,
7: so here are some suggestions. There are celebrations of Diwali on the 11th and 12th of November at Tawa in Cambridge at 50 to 60 Station Road and in
8: Histon. On the 12th of November at Amphora, chef Steve Thompson has a five-course tasting menu and there are still places available. There's a flight of 10 wines as well. The total cost is £115 with £55 of that paid as a deposit. And here's news about some Finboys events.
2: We're going to do a tuner evening on the 22nd of November, Wednesday the 22nd. Tickets will be on sale probably from this weekend, uh, and then in December we're doing two nights champagne dinner with Hal Wilson from from Cambridge Wines uh, on the 6th and 7th of uh, December. We're doing t- two two nights
4: the Tickle Arms in Whittlesford has a seasonal game night on the 23rd of November. There's a three-course set menu and a glass of fizz
7: along with canapes on arrival. There's a Trumpington Eco Christmas Market at the Clay Farm Centre on the 26th of November. That's from 10 till 2. Stalls include Chocks Away with chocolates, and Turkish Delight. Also, they've got Kickstart Coffee, which is a non-profit making and supports health and education of children in Uganda. Well, that's where they get their coffees from. And Richard Gin will also be there too.
8: At Meadows in Mill Road on the 26th of November, there's a workshop of chocolate techniques and it's for beginners. It's a small workshop for six to eight people and includes hands-on festive chocolates and you'll be making chocolate Mediants,
4: Mendians, I oh, think. Oh, I,
8: I thought it might be. <laughs> <laughs> and truffles with tutor Camilla Marcias. The cost is £120.
4: Pear and Olive Scratch Kitchen in Hildersham has a seven-course tasting menu on 17th and 18th of November, highlighting the ingredients of autumn. Bookings are being taken now and there are limited spaces.
8: After facing demolition... Being saved and then threatened again, it looks like the flying pig on Hills Road has been saved, hopefully for good. Famous for being the Pink Floyd pub because Sid Barrett used to drink there, a recent BBC News article states the impending office block will be redesigned with significant changes to accommodate the pub, which will reopen soon. That's great news. Brilliant, brilliant news. Uh, coming up after the break, we'll
7: check out the activities of Cambridge Sustainable Food and a look at training to become a barista. Uh, if you're searching for a job, that might just be your opening. We've ideas for fish stew too, along with plenty more food and drink news, including wine tasting and events. So, don't go away.
8: Cambridge 105 Radio
4: Saturday night on Cambridge 105 Radio is all about the soul
2: Hi, this is Jamie Stocker Join me here on Cambridge 105 Radio playing two hours of classic, rare and new funk and soul regular features and playing the very best in new music across the funk and soul genres
4: The Funk and Soul Show with Jamie Stocker tonight at 8 right after Chris Brown on Cambridge 105 Radio
7: Rhythms of Southern Africa, A Musical Journey, is coming to the Cambridge Junction on Saturday, the 4th of November. Brought to you by Shanyai Promotions, it's a Southern African music extravaganza. Starring South African legend Freddie Gwala, Afro pop star Shedi Malaika, the legendary Jays Marabini band from Zimbabwe, rising star Nine, Aga Nayabinde and Lady B. Rhythms of Southern Africa, a musical journey where music and culture unite. Tickets available at shanyai.events or at junction.co.uk. Cambridge 105. Welcome back to Flavor. Now, last week, I went to the Food for the Planet Festival run by Cambridge Sustainable Food. They've been on the programme several times through many voices and from many events. And that made me think about how does that come across on radio exactly? They do so many things and we only report on one of those things at a time. So here is a broader picture to give you perhaps a better idea of what Cambridge Sustainable Food does and why you might consider wanting to volunteer with them.
9: Cambridge Sustainable Food was born 10 years ago to try and shift people's perceptions about the provenance of the food they eat. Yeah, Provenance means where the food comes from, how it was grown, if you're eating meat, what sort of conditions the animals are raised in. Whose idea was it? It grew out of Transition Cambridge, the food group, and Cambridge Carbon Footprint, which is involved in education about climate change, because obviously the choices we make with our food are significant in terms of their climate impact. So that's where it all started. And it's grown and grown and grown. It developed exponentially and pandemic because the city council wanted us to operate a food distribution system. And a raft of volunteers were brought in to collect food from supermarkets and deliver them to small community hubs around the city, where people could go, no questions asked, and simply, if they needed food, they could access
7: it. Covid highlighted the massive need for food hubs. There's eight of them in Cambridge. And once again, demand is high as we head into the winter period. But financial pressures and cost of living has had a knock-on effect on donations.
9: So some of the food hubs are looking to become a social supermarket where people join and pay a subscription and a small amount so that they can become self-sustaining without necessarily relying on voluntary contributions.
7: Cambridge Sustainable Food does a good job collaborating with different voluntary services.
9: We coordinate the Food Poverty Alliance, which brings together people like Jimmy's, the Food Bank, Winter Comfort...
1: Hi, my name is Leon. I found myself a job as a chef in Brown's Restaurant.
5: We invest really heavily in staff training.
1: It's all thanks to Winter Comfort who have supported me all this time. They found accommodation for me, got me food vouchers.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, obviously, it's an enterprise that they've set up to help homeless people. They're
5: learning how to cook, they're learning about food hygiene here at Winter Comfort.
2: But also, they have contacts with the proper world, like, for instance, I work at St John's College because of Winter Comfort. So, um, yeah, it's, it's all good stuff
9: different people involved in helping people in poorer circumstances. And it's amazing what happens when you get a network of people rather than just functioning on their own. Another key part of our work is climate-friendly diet. What's better for us health-wise, it's also better for the planet. So if we eat a healthy diet, we're also eating a much more sustainable diet. We also have links with other organisations, with growers, with co-farm.
7: In a field just off Barnwell Road, there's a whole lot of digging going on, and planting and harvesting. What was once a bare field is now yielding large amounts of veg for local food banks. This is Cofarm. Farm.
3: Yeah, so we are standing in a fenced two-acre plot. And we've got everything from lettuce to fennel. We even are growing aubergine here, which astounds me. And it gives me hope <laughs> that we can actually grow things like that here.
7: They grow everything
3: here. There are many volunteers. Hello. Hello. Isn't it nice to have fresh vegetables?
6: Oh yeah, like there's honestly so much. So I'm watering the celery at the moment. There's <laughs> tomatoes on my left. Winter spinach that I've just watered. Then there's beans. There's just about everything
2: here, to be honest. (sighs) But also, one of the big reasons why I'm volunteering is the fact that then the food all all gets donated to local food banks.
3: So on a bi-tri-weekly basis, there's a big picking effort here. And it's all packaged up, so it gets to the food banks as fresh as possible, just hours after it's been picked. So people who haven't got the resources actually have access to fresh, healthy
9: produce. So, again, it's trying to get a a city-wide approach to shifting how people feel about their food.
0: Hi, I'm Rachel. I first heard about Cambridge Sustainable Food through the local food hub in Trumpington. That was set up at the beginning of COVID as as an emergency response. And what attracted me to getting involved in that was about food justice, so making sure we were getting food to people. But it also is about sustainability. So some of the food that we were sharing and getting out to people would otherwise have gone to waste. So it's about gathering up that surplus food and getting it to the people that needed it. So I volunteered for several years at Trumpington Food Hub. Now I've got involved in other ways, learning more about what Cambridge Sustainable Food does us climate action as well so the festival that we had recently in october was about climate action on a plate so helping people learn how they can adjust what they eat to be better for the planet tackling food waste or choosing to eat less meat and dairy food just a few little steps that you can take that can really um, make a difference
7: fun can be an added element if you're interested in volunteering at cambridge sustainable food
0: I was involved with the festival in October and I took along the human fruit machine, which comes from Trumpington Allotments. So Dave Fox's wonderful human fruit machine.
8: Yeah, that was me with, with help from my friend Lorelei, local artist who made the vegetable decorations.
0: And that's an opportunity to have
8: some fun. So the idea for the human fruit machine was to try to make vegetables more interesting to children. You know, we've had visits where primary school children, they love the centipedes and the, and the newts and all the other mini-beasts, but vegetables are a bit boring. So, we thought we'd try and liven them up a bit.
0: So, I'm part of Trumpington Allotment Society, where there's quite an active community, also getting involved in local schools, you know, showing them how they can start growing and appreciating where food comes from.
7: Educating children about food and cooking, another important element.
3: You know, in Covid, I, I lost all my work as a freelancer. And many years ago I was working in Ditton Fields, asking residents what they wanted, and part of that was around learning to cook. And that's what we were doing. We are doing these fantastic cooking courses with Sam and Cambridge Sustainable Food, with children who then presented the meal to some of the footballers at Cambridge United and stuff. It was. We've had a lot of really good fun.
7: Here's a chef who's all about food sustainability and zero waste. TikTok and Instagram star Tristan Welch, who often volunteers his time to Cambridge Sustainable Food events.
1: My name is Tristan Welch, um, I like to think I'm a rubbish cook because I'm really passionate about using the things and bits and bobs that get thrown away. I actually, this time of year, I like to use walnuts in my pesto, so walnuts. Everyone's got their blown old bits of cheese that dry in the back of the fridge. Chuck that into your pesto instead of parmesan. Works really well and is considerably cheaper. What a recipe, huh? <laughs> walnuts, old cheese and olive oil, all blended up together, makes a lovely, lovely pesto. It's quite delicious. And there we go. Let's get a little bit of olive oil there as well. And that is our creamy pumpkin pasta, made from your Halloween pumpkins, if you like. (laughs) Thanks very much for watching. If you've got any other questions about food waste, please do come up and uh, I'm happy to chat away. And uh, Lovely to see you. Thanks a lot.
0: There's a lot of people wanting to try and tackle sustainability and food justice. It's very much a partnership approach. So Cambridge Sustainable Food, we rely on a lot of volunteers, but there's also networking and partnerships with other organisations.
7: See, that's the thing about Cambridge Sustainable Food. There's so many ways that you can get involved, whether it's the community farm, teaching, cooking, teaching cooking, collecting or donating surplus food, giving your time to food hubs growing veg in your garden or allotment for others, or perhaps being a kitchen volunteer at their monthly community meals on Mill Road.
3: That's right. Um, So we've been here, faced with five sacks full of food that would have gone to landfill, and we had to come up with a menu. So the two Janes have produced a wonderful soup we're about to serve of root vegetables, parsnips, turnips, potatoes, and lots of fresh herbs from the garden here.
7: How did you find
2: out about this? I think I read about the general idea in The Guardian about a year ago, and then I went to talk by food writer Jack Monroe, who also encouraged people to help with food banks, because she really emphasised how important this is at the moment. Yeah, I'm really glad I made it finally.
3: You know, there is a lot of disconnect. We're disconnected from so many things in so many ways, aren't we? And I think connecting to our food, connecting to nature, connecting to our soil and loving where we live <laughs> is actually really important and Cambridge Sustainable Food brings all those things together I think and that's, that's what I try and support through my art
7: <laughs> Yeah there's so many events and activities available through the Cambridge Sustainable Food website and it's all to build a properly resilient food system of course and you get to meet some really great people too so do check it out the address online is Cambridge Sustainable Food. Dot .org.
8: Yeah, on to wine news now, and Saffron Grange Vineyard near Saffron Walden has had a record-breaking year with, believe it or not, 58 tonnes of grapes picked by more than 250 volunteers. Their team will be at Saffron Walden Market on the 2nd and the 16th of December with a full range of sparkling wines for tasting and purchasing. And the vineyard shop and cafe are open Wednesdays to Sundays for wine, teas, coffees and snacks. And also on the 12th of december at market house in cambridge there's a saffron grange wine dinner a four course meal accompanied by a tasting of saffron grange wines and that is at 6 30 p.m and the cost is 95 pounds this friday there's
4: a christmas wine tasting with
8: bill broken at market house at 6 p.m
4: there'll be six wines to taste and the event will last about 75 minutes
7: The Cambridge Winter Wine Fair is being held on the 12th of November. There will be more than 100 wines available. You can try as many as you like. It's all included in the price. Thirteen local or localish wine merchants will be present, including Cambridge Wine Merchants, Thorn Wines, Great Britannia, Bubbly Bandits, the Venetian Wine Bar and Giffords Hall Vineyard. The fair is being held at the Cambridge University Press's Cast Centre, and that's at the far end of Shaftesbury Road off Brooklyn's Avenue. There's two sessions from 12 noon till 2.30pm and the other one from 3 till 5.30pm. Cost is £35 for one person,
8: £60 for two. Uh, And Cambridge Wine Merchants has a Christmas wine fair at Westminster College, which is at the junction of Northampton Street, Queens Road and Maddingley Road. There will be 100 wines to try in a walk-around tasting, with a 15% discount on the wines showcased at the event. Food can be purchased at the College's Buttery, and there will also be a selection of gins from Cambridge Gin Distillery. And that runs from 5 till 10pm on the 30th of November, and tickets are £25.
4: The Wine Rooms in Hills Road is now delivering wines to you at The full range of wines can be found on their website, and there is a £5 discount on
7: your first order of over £100. Tastings are coming up at the Wine Rooms, including, on the 23rd of November, a St Joseph tasting from the Northern Rhone, where the dominant grape is Syrah. On the 30th of November, there is a tasting of wines from the Barolo region of Italy, Both nights run from 7 till 8.30pm and the
8: cost for each is £30. Thorn Wines has a discount of 5% on all Rioja wines this month.
4: Amphora has a Meet the Winemaker evening with Hau Alfonso from the Alentejo region of Portugal. It's at 8pm on 9th November. And that's the news for today. But now on to
7: coffee. You know, there's always lots of jobs in Cambridge's restaurants and cafes, not least for baristas. If you're looking to get into hospitality, then maybe this is a good place to start. One place where you can train is at the Cambridge Coffee Academy in Milton, which has regular barista classes. Alan spoke to head trainer Jake Bosworth about the importance of a good barista.
8: Uh, Is there much difference in a coffee from a real expert barista and one who's, say, less good? More of a novice. Um, one from a quality barista,
6: you get a rich creaminess from the milk. You get the highlights of the coffee. Um, it's 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 a full product with one that hasn't been made very well. Uh, typically, it goes very thin. The coffee and the milk tend to reject each other. Sorry, what, what's, what does that mean? So I've had it before. as have had a lot of people um, where you get a coffee and it it feels thin. It t- it tastes like a like a cup of milk about halfway through and then you hit the bottom half of the cup and it tastes extremely bitter, where the coffee has kind of just sank to the bottom of the cup. Now, if this had been steamed well and had been made, made properly, the coffee would be bound to the milk and you'd get the product the whole way through, rather than a large intensity right, right at the end, which right. is going to be pretty really harsh tasting.
8: <laughs> a, a cafe I go to quite often has changed, the baristas changed, and the coffee doesn't taste as as full and as creamy as it used to and they use the same coffee so that is down to yeah, could the be, expertise.
6: Yeah, it could be the barista could just be uh, they might have changed the milk, it could just be that they might not have set their grinder up correctly which is what you would do on a daily basis um, there's multiple factors but Nine times out of ten, it comes to the, down to the barista. Oh,
8: right. <laughs> the, the things to get right are, are what? What are the essentials, would yes.
6: you say? Yes, so, uh, so I run courses taking people that have never made a coffee before up to sort of a barista standard. And the things I tell people are, look, to be a good barista, you just need to know how to adjust a grinder to give you a perfect espresso and how to steam two different types of milk. If you can do these things consistently... Everything else, such as latte art and assembly, that all just comes, comes with it. But OK, the...
8: can I just stop you? When you say adjust the grinder, how do you know yeah. how much to adjust
6: it by? You can change the amount of coffee it's given you and you can change the, the size of the grind of the actual coffee itself. Now, the amount of coffee you're using is referred to as your dose. The grind is just referred to as the grind. Grind size affects the, the overall intensity of, of the coffee, the flavour and the balance. Uh, If if a coffee runs too quickly, so a set amount of water passes through the coffee at such a high speed, not enough flavour is going to be brought out. So it's going to be quite sour, quite weak, um, not a very nice espresso. If you have the other sort of extremity where it's taking too long, uh, it becomes very acidic, very bitter, almost syrupy in texture, which again, you, you don't want. So it's about balancing the correct dosage with the correct brine size to give you the, the
8: best yeah. result at the end. Somebody once told me that the coffee should come out in between 19 and 31 seconds, which seemed to me to be like quite a big latitude, actually. Yeah,
6: so, um, I mean, they're not wrong. It just comes down to the coffee you're using. So obviously coffee can be roasted at different levels. You've got light, medium and dark. When it comes to actually then making the espresso, with a lighter roast, there's more natural oils to draw out and play with, so you have a longer window to extract these flavours from. As you go to a slightly darker roast, that window gets shorter and shorter. It literally can be a difference of seconds, but that can have a massive impact on your espresso.
8: This all sounds quite tricky, actually. Uh, One of the things that I'm aware of when I go into a cafe uh, and I get, you know, food and the coffee, is that I've got the food and where's the coffee, and... If you have a sort of cafe full of people waiting for their coffee, what's the effect on the barista don't they notice or are they just and what's the psychology of it?: Yeah, no the barista will definitely be aware
6: um, they will uh, they will definitely have everything in order and everything will be coming as it should and when it should. I will defend some baristas uh. <laughs> oh, I'm not criticizing
8: the barista I'm just you know because it takes the amount of time it takes but you know there's a, you must be working on the a lot of pressure
6: yeah you're you're constantly juggling orders and um that is time management of what you know yourself and and everything around you um some places or places that i've definitely worked it's not just the front counter you have to worry about you know some places have drive throughs or mobile orders are a big thing now you can be you know it might not look like there's a lot going on but behind that counter there could be six seven orders coming in at the same time um you know four drinks on each order with different things on there that you need to do, majority of the time they're, they're on top of it. Um, an experienced barista will manage their time better than someone with less experience.
8: Right, I mean, I go to places and the barista doesn't stop, you yeah. know, and I just, and, and yet the queues are not dropping, you know, and I just think, what a tense experience it must be. It's, it's definitely very tense when, you,
6: when there's a queue. You learn to sort of, uh, not necessarily block it out, but you, you learn to cope with it. Um, it's definitely very daunting when you're first starting out, but once you sort of get past a certain level of experience, everything comes naturally. The drink-making, the steaming, uh, managing the queue, and while it might look like the queue is constantly there, they are working through it at, at quite, a, quite a pace. Um, a, typically, a coffee can be made in, from order to assembly from, a, from an experienced barista in about sort of 30 seconds, Um, and obviously think about how many coffees are on each order. They're trying to be as quick as they physically can. Some baristas do it better than others, but again, I think that just comes down to experience and a little bit with the equipment they're using
8: as well. Thanks to Jake Bosworth of the Cambridge Coffee Academy, and that's at Coffee World in Milton. And we've plenty of barista vacancies to bring you in our jobs roundup, and that will be at the end of the programme.
4: On now to our regular feature with fishmonger Ben Roberts. The idea behind these features is to highlight quick and easy ways of cooking fish so you can enjoy it after a bitty day of work without having to spend too long in the kitchen. Today, Ben has some ideas for an easy fish stew.
10: Yeah, fish stew. So that's a good thing for using the things like ling and tusk and um, hay, uh, not hay, uh, rockfish uh, and, and monkfish, I suppose, as well. Uh, same for curries as things, although it's one of those ones, monkfish... It's really, really nice, but don't overcook it. Whereas the tusk and the ling and things like that, you can cook them a bit more because they are quite, pr- quite robust and they, you know, they don't. So if
8: you were overcook. doing, if you were doing a fish stew which included monkfish, you'd put the monkfish in. Pretty much, some, in, yeah. When everything is end.
10: pretty much done, yeah. that's the last thing you put in, and basically just till that's cooked, it won't take long, and serve it like that, yeah.
8: What about the the stock for uh, a fish stew, Ben? What would you put
10: in it? Well. Pretty much make an, a basic stock. You can do a vegetable stock and, and start with the, you know, onions and leeks or whatever and just vegetables and make so a stock. So yeah. yeah, absolutely, and make a stock that way and then put your fish in at the end if you just want a simple fish stew or you could make it spicy or you could buy a chicken stock or buy a fish stock or a vegetable stock from the from the supermarket and go that way. But pretty much the last thing to do is mm-hmm. put the fish in. Put the fish in at the end. Don't put it in at the beginning because if the, the fish will overcook and it won't be very nice unless you've got to make a fish stock with trimmings and things like that, cook them first and obviously take them out and then put the main bit of the fish in at the end when, you've, yeah, uh, yeah. when it's so, all yeah.
8: So how quickly would a, a sort of, I don't know, how, do you put your, your fish in, in little cubes? Yes,
10: or? and they don't take long. If, it, if the stock's pretty much boiling, it yeah. will take two three minutes and yeah. just, you know inch cubes will be cooked yeah and among fish less no. than that then uh, pretty well yeah really it doesn't take much cooking and obviously it's still in hot stew and when you turn it off and take it off the heat so, so it's, it's still, still cooks. cooking it's still cooking yeah. yeah so less is more in a lot of cases so, and, oh, and right. obviously if you get really nice fresh fish if it's slightly under it's not going to hurt you at all <laughs>
8: <laughs> ben sells his fish in uh, Grandchester Street every Saturday morning from 8.30 to about 12.15. And he also delivers in parts of Cambridge on Friday nights. Sue, so you go to Spain quite a lot, don't you? I'm quite near Cadiz a great place for fish, I think. So is fish, some, fish stew something you eat when you're in the um, Have you got any tips for it?
4: Well, not really fish stew because we tend to go in the spring and summer and I think a fish stew is more of a autumnal and winter dish. But basically, get get ideally very fresh fish, yeah. although his, as he's, as as Ben said, on the turn, not quite on the turn, but slightly older is, is, is still OK. But basically, I love Cadiz. It's a fish market like nowhere else. Oh, it's superb. And tuna is my favourite when we go to that part of Spain because oh, it's right. perfect. Oh, well, right,
8: you are to be going to Finboy's Tuna Night on the 22nd oh, of November. Thank you. I think I will,
4: <laughs> definitely. Wow. Right.
8: There's the music signalling time for news from social media. And cheese lovers will be delighted to know that Vacheron Mondor is back in stock at Meadows. Flourish has two tickets available. This is due to a cancellation at its fermenting workshop on the 22nd of November. Bushelbox Box Farm has just had a delivery of this season's chestnuts, jolly nice. And Gutter and Stars has a cellar tasting of wines on the second... 21st, 21st of December, and that's from 6.30 till 7.30pm. <laughs>
7: And there's Booker T and the MGs with Green Onions taking us into our job section.
8: Yeah, let's start with barista vacancies. A head barista is needed at Hot Numbers in Shepreth and also at Coffee World in Milton, whose cafe is expected to open up in the second week of December. And Coffee World also has vacancies for other baristas as well. Well, there's some other places they're looking for baristas, which include Fitzbillies,
4: Iris Cafe, which is part of Newnham College and is open to the public too, Cambridge Oven, Bean Theory in Newnham Road, Brew Project in Ely, Aromi, Bennett's, which is for a weekend barista only, Locker Cafe and the
7: Oakington Garden Centre. Now, there's a lot of chef positions available. A Gorilla Kitchen is looking for a full-time chef who must be able to drive. To find out more, just email
8: info at gorillakitchen.co.uk. The Linton Kitchen has a vacancy for a full-time supervisor. The hours are Sunday 9.30 till 3.30 and Monday to Thursday 8.30 to 5.30 and the start date is December or January. To apply or for more information email Gemma at thelintonkitchen.com and if you're applying include a CV. And
4: Fitzbillies is opening soon in King Street and is looking for team members and particularly assistant managers, coffee shop supervisors, and front of house. Send your CV to hello
7: at fitzbillies.com. Cambridge Sustainable Food urgently needs volunteers to collect surplus food from Cambridge businesses and deliver it to their warehouse on Wednesdays. They'd love to hear from you, even if you can't deliver every week. Just email cath at cambridgesustainablefood.org for more
8: information. Provenance Kitchen is expanding its team and is looking for people over the age of 16 to join them. Full training will be provided. Email Kate at provenancekitchen.com or phone Cambridge 839 993 to apply. Midsummer House has two chef vacancies,
4: one with responsibility for meat and the other for cold starters. And it's a four-day working week. If you're interested, email kitchen at midsummerhouse.co.uk, but you will need to have a UK working visa. Okay, a
7: quick roundup of other jobs now. To apply, just go to the company's website or pop in at a quiet time for a chat. A head chef is needed at Gourmet Burger Kitchen, also at Hotel Duvan. A senior pizza chef vacancy also exists at Aromi.
8: And there are vacancies for chefs at Vandalisle at the Gonville Hotel, which is looking for a breakfast chef, at Gourmet Burger Kitchen, whose vacancy is for a grill chef.
4: And Aromi is also looking for a pizza chef and a pasta chef, and a junior brunch chef is needed at Hot Numbers, where the job is split between Guider Street and
7: Trumpington Street. Sous-chefs are needed at the University Arms Hotel, also at Brown's and the Town & Gown.
8: Chefs de partie are needed at Midsummer House, the Carpenters Arms in Great Wilbraham, Carluccio's, the University Arms Hotel, Churchill College and Trinity Hall.
4: And finally, Pint Shop and the
7: Free Press Pub both have vacancies for chefs at all levels. OK, we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, Have either of you seen anything interesting about food in the news this week?
8: Yes, actually, I think yesterday was World Sandwich Day. I think it, I think it was yesterday. I can't say <laughs> I can't se- se- celebrate. I didn't have a sandwich yesterday. No, did but I? On, I think it was on Wednesday. In the Guardian, there was an article about somebody called Barry Enderwick. Is that a name that means anything?
4: Not to me, Well,
8: Barry Enderwick has a great interest in sandwiches and he has created or recreated more than 700 sandwich recipes from history, dating from 200 BC to the present day. And he talks about which are his best and worst sandwiches. But one of the books which I thought would be an interest Sue, because she has a good selection of cookbooks, have you got... Ken Dodd's Butty Book. No, I have not got his <laughs> Butty Book. Well, you ought to have, that's I all think I, I should. can say. <laughs> and in the, have you got time for all of this? In, uh, shut me up, Matt, when when, when, when you need to. Okay. The five worst sandwiches. Well, the f- worst sandwich that he created uh, is from... He didn't create it, he recreated it from a recipe from 1936. It's a yeast sandwich, Ooh. a block of compressed... Fresh yeast. (laughs) A block of compressed fresh yeast mixed with Worcester sauce. He says, it was not good. I shouldn't think it was. (laughs) An oyster sandwich from 1909, chopped up raw oysters, olive oils and Worcestershire sauce with lettuce. He says, it was a slimy mess. So gross. No. What a waste of a nice oyster. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, I think one of his best ones was from a 2022 cookbook by New Orleans Sandwich Shop, turkey and the wolf, and it was sliced tomato with salt and pepper, salted roast sunflower seeds, dill, basil, lemon juice and mayonnaise, and he says Mm. it was absolutely delicious. Mm. Anyway, Barry Endwick, and apparently I've not looked at this for this yet, (laughs) I probably will do, but he does, uh, oh, and there's a chocolate sandwich which involved <laughs> melting chocolate and sugar with wine.
4: Ooh, OK. <laughs> I
8: bet you try that one, Sue. Do, um, no,
4: no, chocolate. Ugh, no, not in a sandwich, no thanks. <laughs> I'm a savoury
8: sandwich person. Anyway, Barry Endwick apparently has an Instagram page in which every day he displays his... His new sandwich. Uh, (laughs) Something something to do on an idle, rainy day.
9: Mm,
8: Fair (laughs) enough.
7: (laughs) Well, with ten seconds left, uh, that brings us to the end of today's programme. Do you want to take the final reins, Alan?
8: Yeah, coming up on Cambridge 105, The Gadget Guide. We'll be back on the 18th. Thanks for listening. I'm from us all here today. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.